My name is Paul. I'm a member here at Riverside, and uh, my wife Bridget and I, we, uh, we have a small group up in the Pennsburg area, and we also work in the children's ministry. And just want to thank Ezra for the opportunity to, uh, uh, to be part of this sermon series and to get a chance to preach in front of you today. And um, of course, it seems like whenever they dole out the scripture, they, they, they lift some of the hard stuff over to you know, some of us guys, and we're going to be diving into some very challenging scripture today. So, um, and it's actually the, the first part of a two-part story. We're going to get, we're continuing in uh, Acts. We're going to be following Paul and Silas um, as they are continuing to share the gospel, this whole idea of not being silent. They're sharing their faith. And we're going to get into some pretty challenging things that they run into today. And you'll have to come back next week to see how it all ends. So hopefully I give you a good lead up to that. So in this sermon series of Do Not Be Silent, we're talking about not shying away from sharing the gospel, not um, uh, being afraid of living out our lives um, in Jesus. And we're going to see today that sometimes when we are doing that, when we're actively living out our faith, that we find ourselves in the midst of some pretty challenging circumstances. You know, rather than, uh, if you were here last week, Ezra preached on the conversion story of Lydia. Um, you know, Paul and Silas shared the gospel with her, and she believed in faith. She was saved, her whole family. It was an awesome, awesome uh, experience there of seeing the gospel at work and seeing something immediate and seeing it being received. But what we're going to find out today is that's not always the way it works. Sometimes, rather than it being received as a gift, it's seen as a threat or a disturbance. And so I'm calling the sermon this morning, Disturbing the Peace. We've certainly seen an awful lot of that over the last week or so, but we're going to be focusing in on a whole different way of, of looking at disturbing the peace. And you're getting a lot of air quotes today. We're going to talk peace in air quotes, okay? Um, what we're going to see is in this very specific historical event in Philippi, it's going to really paint a picture of what we see in the world around us on a pretty regular basis. And we're going to see that the truth of the gospel disturbs, disrupts, and impacts everything around us. You know, it, it shakes up what the world considers peace. I'm going to stop doing the air quotes in a little bit here. Uh, what the world sees as the status quo. So we're going to see that very clearly in this story. But the other thing that we're going to look at is how the gospel disturbs our peace, our status quo, what we rely on. You know, it, it really, in the light of the gospel, it's going to make us take a hard look at what we view as our righteousness, how we define our morality, what we hold as our highest priorities. You know, it's kind of, uh, it's like a bright spotlight that's shining on right at your heart and just showing you exactly what you, what you hold most dear. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of intimidating. I don't always want somebody looking inside of what's going on between my ears and certainly not what's in my heart. But here's the other thing we're going to see in this story today, the really encouraging and beautiful part of it, that even in the midst of all of that, God is at work. You know, we may not clearly understand it. We may not understand his plan, his timing, but he does have a plan. He is in control. And he's always working for our good. 
So we're going to see how the gospel disturbs our peace and the peace of the world. The other thing we're going to see today is when you're faced with the gospel, there's an action. There has to be a response. There's no middle ground. When you're faced with the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is, you have to make a decision. And we're going to see that in the story today, unfortunately, and not the best uh, response to that. But for each one of us here, when we hear the gospel, we have to react to that. We're going to see how that plays out and what, what the scripture shows us about that. So like I said, this morning's going to be a little challenging. We're going to be pushed a little bit. And, and this may not be the best thing to say. I hope you're disturbed a little bit. I want us to be shaken up. I want us to think about what the gospel means in our lives and how it's impacting the world around us. And I can tell you, uh, I was sharing with Keith earlier this morning, um, it's amazing when you're working on a sermon, God teaches you. And this past week for me, uh, he put me through a ringer. Um, and so uh, what I'm preaching to you today hopefully is something that, that, that he's working on with me. He really forced me to take a hard look at how I'm living out the gospel in my life. And... Um, it was pretty hard. It was pretty painful. There were some moments that wouldn't necessarily want to go back through, but I can tell you I'm grateful for it because God was at work. And I'm hoping that's what you see today too. As we go through this scripture, I hope that you're challenged. I hope that God shines that light and the truth of the gospel, it transforms you. You know, I found, and, and this is the thing with God, He loves us enough to ask the hard questions. He's not content with us to just kind of keep on going, living our lives, thinking we're, we're okay when we're not okay without Him. He pushes us out of our comfort zone, but He always does it for our good and out of love. So with that context, let's just bow our heads for a moment, take a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into the Scripture. Father, you are good, you are righteous, you are powerful. And I ask today that the truth of who you are and the truth of who your son Jesus is, that just penetrates our hearts. And Father, I, I ask today that you open our eyes to the impact of the gospel that it makes on the world, how it challenges the world's status quo, and to help us be prepared for that, that reaction that we get from the world when we are living out our faith. And Father, I also ask that you help us to look inwardly so that we truly understand the gospel and how the impact it should be having on our lives. So God, humble us today as you challenge us. Please make us open to your word. And I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you have a Bible, if you don't, you should have one. So pick one up. There's some of the entrances here. We're, we're back in Acts. And we're going to be in chapter 16 and actually starting in verse 16. And um, I think we'll maybe have it up on the screen as well. So the scripture starts this way. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. 
and he came out that very hour. So let's pause there for a moment and see what's happening. It's kind of setting the stage here. So Paul and Silas uh, and, and the, uh, uh, their group, they were going about their day in kind of the normal way for them. They were headed down to the, pr- the place of prayer. They've been in Philippi for a little while now and where they met Lydia down by the river. They were gathering and they were praying. So they were living out their, their lives. They weren't hiding who they were following, even though at this time in the Roman Empire, um, you know, being Jewish or being weren't even quite called Christians yet, but following Jesus was not exactly a favorable thing. But they were living that out, and people were seeing it. And it was clearly recognized by this demon-possessed girl. Um, You know, if you read through the Gospels, whenever Jesus encountered a demon or an evil spirit, like right away they recognize who he is, right? They know he's the Son of God. They see the divinity there. And similar to this, Um, this demon, this evil spirit, is seeing that these are men of God. They are working on his behalf. They're living out their faith. And so it recognizes that. Now, I read a couple of different commentaries um, to get more information on, you know, it strikes me as kind of odd. Why would a demon, someone who is set opposed to the Lord, be proclaiming that that these men are are proclaiming the way of salvation, right? Um, and I, I had two different things that, that kind of came up. One was that maybe the evil spirit was compelled. You know, it just felt like it recognized God in, in what they were doing and it just was compelled to do that. The other uh, thing that I read was that maybe it was trying to tie their message to the occult and try to discredit them. So whatever was happening there, here's what I want us to really focus in on. There was a girl who was afflicted by evil And Paul did something about it in the name of Jesus. Right there's the flashpoint in the story. Right? The gospel's not this theoretical idea of religion or something. This is God at work in the name of Jesus confronting evil and tackling it. You know, the gospel has just disturbed, last one I promise, the peace. Okay? Now, we, we mentioned earlier and what Ezra preached on last week, um, we had another example of where the gospel entered in and disturbed the peace. That was when they met with Lydia, right? Now, her response was just through a conversation. They were just talking. She heard the, her, the, heard the truth of who Jesus was and responded. She received it in faith. She believed, and she was saved. Her family heard it. They were saved, and I mean, it's amazing the conversion story, right? Well, I'm a pretty logical guy. My wife will attest to this. I love me spreadsheets, right? Give me columns. Give me things I can think through. So I'm thinking of it this way, all right? If there's a conversation where the gospel is shared, the truth of, of Jesus is there, and this conversion happens, here we've got like a really powerful and dramatic way of the gospel like really being demonstrated. I mean, you're exercising the demon. You're confronting real evil there and it's being removed. So my logical brain thinks, okay, well, if just a conversation did this, how much more of an impact should something like this have on, on all the people who, who recognize it? You know, you might think that, you know, the, the girl, the slave owners, everybody in the town would just be amazed by this and say, wow, I want to know who is this Jesus person that can have this and then Paul and Silas have this open forum to just share the gospel. And, and people you know, come to faith and they believe and there's this big celebration, right? That's not what happened. <laughs> um, 
Unfortunately, what we're going to see is the exact opposite happened. So let's pick up the story and, and see exactly what that was. We're going to pick up in verse 19. But as we read this next section, I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to pay particular attention. We're going to meet a couple of different people. But I want you to pay attention to the owners of the slave uh, girl, okay? And I want you to look at how their peace was disturbed. I want you to look at the action or the reaction that they took. And then I want us to take a look at the ripple effect of what happened. All right, so in verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, and do me a favor, if you have a Bible, underline that right there, their hope of gain was gone. That's a key point. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. There's a lot going on here, and not much of it is good. Uh, so let's break this down. Let's take a look at what's happening. But again, I want to go back to what is the root cause of what's happening. So on the heels of Paul expelling this demon uh, from this girl, she no longer has the power to do the fortune telling. What are the, what's the first response? What's the first thing that we see that, that her masters do? Not a trick question, it's what I had you underline, right? They saw their hope of gain was gone. That thing that they trusted in, that thing that supported their livelihood, their source of quote-unquote peace, threw one more in there, their status quo had been disturbed. Not only disturbed, but like ripped out. So now in the face of this disturbance, like we said, the gospel disturbs, disturbs the, the work of, of the Lord disturbs, what action did they take? They lashed out in violence and anger. You know, they physically grabbed Paul and Silas, drugged them to the marketplace where the rulers were. Then they started lying about them. What they say, they are disturbing our city. No, that's not exactly, they were disturbing them. They weren't necessarily to that point yet. We're out there banging on all the doors and, and sharing the gospel. So they're, they're trumping up these charges against them. And then look what that action, look what that anger and that response to the gospel did. Starts pulling others in. The mob, right? So there's a crowd of people. They're believing the lies and they start attacking Paul and Silas. The magistrates had them stripped down and commanded that they be, uh, be beaten with rods. Now, I read a little bit more about what that looked like, too, and um, Roman culture was brutal. And during this time, um, to be beaten with rods, there was no restriction on the number of blows you could receive. So this wasn't a bunch of guys, you know, tapping them on the back. 
I think it's pretty safe to say Paul and Silas were were beaten severely, maybe close to death. And on top of that, they're then, Paul and Silas are then thrown into a prison, and not just a prison, but like think the whole, solitary confinement. They're put in the, the deepest, darkest pit. And then they're put in stocks. And I read about that too. Don't ever want to be put in stocks. That wasn't just so they couldn't run away, but that was another like torture device. This is not what I kind of picture when the gospel comes in, right? Um, this is a, trage- a tragedy, and it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled, one thing after another. But why? Where did this all start? It came with those slave owners being disturbed, right? They were faced, their, their idol, that thing they put their, their peace in, was taken away from them. And then their action fueled by fear, fueled by insecurity. That anger rose up because of that disruption and because they they were faced with the fact that what they were putting their hope and peace in was a false peace. It's temporary. And when that was taken away from them, they were lost. why, Why else would you act out like that? And what happened too, remember that ripple effect? When they're acting like that, it's not just them. It's all the people around them are affected. See, the owners had many flaws, but I think their biggest one is just that they have put their faith, their trust, their idea of peace in something that was not eternal. And it might be easy for us to read through this and say, okay, yeah, these guys, they were pretty messed up. I mean, they're taking advantage of this girl. They're making money off of her. I can point to them and say, yeah, that's a pretty stupid thing to put your faith and trust in, right? But that's not an isolated example. That's the way the world works. You know, we're all looking for something to put our faith and trust in. Something that, that we can rely on, that we can, at night when we close our eyes, say, okay, I've got this, things are okay. Could be money. Could be status, could be stuff, could be a job, could be health, could be any number of things. But every one of those things is so temporary and so fragile. So where do we find something that isn't fragile? Where do we find something that is eternal? Well, look back at the scripture. Look for the one place in this whole brutal section where there's actual peace. And you're going to find it in verse 18, in the second half of 18. It says, Paul turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Jesus is brought in to confront evil, and evil is removed. Peace is restored right there. And that's the power of the gospel. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we don't have a thing that we put our hope in. We have a person who is unchanging, who is eternal, and can offer true peace. During the upper room discourse, that is uh, when Jesus was with the disciples um, during the Last Supper, leading up to the Passion and then to his uh, crucifixion, 
Um, he said this in John 16.33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's about as straightforward as it gets, that in me you may have peace. Jesus is telling us where we can find it. And Jesus doesn't lie, right? If he makes that promise, we can rely on that. All we have to do is believe it in faith and it's yours, it's, it, it's mine. You know, one of my favorite verses um, after first becoming a believer and probably the same for many of you is Romans 10, 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when you're saved, you have God's peace. And for anyone who's here today, if, if you've not taken that step yet, if you're still searching out for that hope and that peace and that foundation in something other than Jesus, that can change today. You don't have to worry about it crumbling. You don't have to worry about it being taken away. You can do it right there in your seats while I'm talking. Just talk to God. Confess your sins. Tell him you've rebelled against him. Ask for his forgiveness and you will receive it. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead and you will have his forgiveness and the eternal peace that comes with it. Now, this message is not just for people who aren't following Jesus yet. For those of us who are, anyone who would call themselves a Christian, guess what? That there's that, that lyric from a song, he's not finished with me yet. He ain't done with us yet. God's going to keep using the gospel to disturb us day in and day out. You know, we're saved at the point of, of, of receiving Jesus. We are saved and we have you know, we can rest secured in that, but we still live in our flesh. We still live in a world where bad habits, you know, things that, that we still hold tightly onto, God needs to disturb us to, to, to rip those things out, to pull those things away. He's done that with me time and time again. Again, ask my wife. She can tell you. And every time God calls me out, it's disturbing. It's not very comfortable all the time. You know, as I was preparing this sermon, one of the things that, that I was thinking of uh, was actually this whole idea of preaching. Um, you know, I came to Christ about three and a half years ago, and, and a little while into that, kind of felt this call, like, okay, I think maybe you should be preaching. I'm like, no. I don't think so. <laughs> I love you, Jesus. I love the word. I'm learning it. I don't think I'm in a spot to do that yet. But uh, there's this thing about God. He's a little tenacious. When he wants you to do something, it's pretty much going to happen. So you're, I'm learning. He's, just do it up front. It's a lot less painful along the way, right? A little less disturbance. Um, and, and I remembered, I think, the, I, I think it was the first sermon I did that wasn't like a practice one was in Brazil. So we were on a mission trip. And um, 
it was ugly. It, it was not good. Um, I'm standing up front doing this. And, uh, you, you know, we, we have Pastor Umberto was there, so he's translating. So I'm doing like two sentences and kind of doing this, and I'm going back and forth. And the whole time I'm like, this is, this is a mistake. Like, what, the, what is going on here? This is just a bad idea. And then at some point, uh, I don't even remember what it was, but I said it, Pastor Umberto said it. I'm looking at my paper. Also, everybody started to clap. I did one of these. I'm like, that just happened. <laughs> Right? I was a bumbling fool. I don't even know what I said, but it didn't matter. I, God had me take a step of faith, and he used it. You know, He shook me out of my comfort zone of not wanting to get up in front of a people. Here I was in the two-room schoolhouse. You know, there's maybe 15 people. It was the whole town was there. Uh, you know, and I, I'm doing this. But God connected with them. I don't even know what part it was. I'm like, all right, praise God. Yeah, that's great. Let's keep going. You know? Um, but again, it didn't matter. He disturbed me. He had me step out in faith, and he used it. And that's a question I have for all of you today. How's God using the gospel to disturb your peace? What is he calling you to do? Is he calling you to share the gospel like Paul and Silas did? Even in, maybe in the face of opposition with family members, with friends, with coworkers. You know, is he calling you to, to step out and serve? Is he, is he calling you maybe to get on your knees and pray? You know, whatever's uncomfortable, but he wants to push you. And I ask, pray about that. A ask how God is pushing you. And just watch how he works through you. Another way that the gospel can disturb us um, when we're following Jesus is when we need to rip out sin and remove idols. You know, it may not be something he's asking us to do. It may be something he's asking us to remove. I told you at the beginning of the sermon, um, God put me through the ringer this past week, and this one he hit me over the head with really hard. Um, I grew up in uh, around York, Pennsylvania. It's Pennsylvania Dutch country, right? So I grew up with, uh, and Ezra, I think, can back me up on this, work hard, you know, always deliver. Your word is your bond. My dad was get up early enough so if you get a flat tire on the way to work, you can change it and still be there an hour early, right? So that's kind of the mentality. And I'm not saying that's all bad. I mean, there's some good stuff there. It served me very well. But what I didn't realize and what God really showed me this week was that started defining who I was. I built a reputation on that. And I placed my hope and, and my trust and, and my sense of peace and my ability to maintain this reputation. I, I, I was the guy who had to deliver. I had to make sure it was right. You know, I had to make sure I hit the deadlines. If you needed something done, you come call me. It's going to happen. And I always, always delivered. And... For about the past 40 years, maybe 38, I slacked off a little bit the first two years. Um, but my reputation, that was it for me. Well, this past week, God came at me, I mean, really from every possible angle. Uh, and it's funny, the sermon, this sermon was actually the breaking point. Um, I had stuff at work, I had stuff at home, I just... That idea that I could handle everything, that thing I built my reputation on, 
and then I had to do this sermon, I broke. All of a sudden, that facade that I put out there just started crumbling. And I'd like to say that my initial reaction was more like Lydia, but I was more like the slave owners. I got anxious, I got scared, and just like that in them, my actions turned to anger. Not proud of it. But even worse than that, God really, he was pushing down, and he had me realize that this isn't the first time. Every time in my life where my reputation had come into question, you know, I'm putting my dukes up, I'm getting ready, like, all right, well, how do I defend that? How do I, how do I, make, how do I make sure that they, you know, it's kind of the Wizard of Oz, don't look at the guy behind the curtain, right? And when I was doing that, in that anxiety, I was acting out again in different instances. I've hurt people, just like happened in that crowd, right? My actions... Rather than realizing that false idol that I had and turning away from that, I tried to defend it. And those actions had an impact on all those people around me. I'm just, just like those slave owners. But here's the good thing. I did get to that point of Lydia. But I tell you, God disturbed me to a point of desperation. That's what it took. Getting this ready to speak to you today was the breaking point. And while that was literally one of the hardest things I've had to go through in a long, long time, I am so grateful for it. Because I tell you that I, it's amazing, the power of God, I just, I feel released from it. And now I know about it. Now I can go to him when I see it flare up again. I can go out. God was working in that situation. He disturbed my peace to show me some real peace. And he brought me closer to him in that process. So as we close, I want to ask a couple of questions, some things that, that I, want, I want you to be disturbed by, I want you to be challenged by as you leave today and go into your week. How is the gospel disturbing your peace? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're out there and you're, you're sharing the gospel and you find that resistance like Paul and Silas did, are you going to back off? Or are you going to push forward? Are you leaning on God to give you the strength to get through that? Is the gospel in your life stirring something up that says you've got to let this idol go? Or is the gospel disturbing you to say, I want you to take this step of faith? And if you've not decided to follow Jesus in faith, now that you've heard it, remember what I said at the very beginning, it disrupts. Are you feeling a little disrupted? If so, that's a good thing. Holy Spirit is working on your heart now. Remember the other piece. There's a reaction. There's a response. Now that you've heard it, what are you going to do? You see, we all need God's true peace in our lives but we don't seek it unless we're disturbed. And it's really God's mercy and love that sent Jesus, who willingly came down, died for our sins, took our punishment so we could be redeemed, so we could be adopted as sons and daughters of, of our Father.
and so that we could reveal, excuse me, that he could have real peace, give us real peace. Just like the slave girl, Jesus confronts the evil in our lives and the world around us, and he has the power to remove it. We just have to let him in. Let's pray.